Last week, um, we looked at uh, the first two questions on Lesson 38. And uh, so I'm going to just uh, recap those quickly. Is essentially, it was, it was, um, what does the Old Testament prove about man? Um, and then what is the positive purpose of the Old Testament? So, in other words, the kind of the negative and positive sides, if we can say there's a negative side to Scripture. But, um, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that, that uh, Scripture makes very clear um, the, the problem of sin and death um, and the outworking of that in, in Adam's uh, race. And then we talked, got into some about um, about Christ and what uh, and what the Old Testament does in, in pointing us to to Him. And um, we talked a little bit about uh, types of Christ in the Old Testament. I just want to review that a little bit to introduce question three. So when we when we start to look at types, um, we want to be sure we're not doing what the liberal theologian does, and and that's um, that's basically look at the Old Testament and, the, and all the scripture like it's like it's a work of fiction. You know, um, it, it's not. I mean, they'll they'll give you know high praise to the literary kind of masterpiece of, of scripture, um, but they don't believe it for for a minute, right? Um, but you know, it, it's so much it's so much greater than that, right? We, we've already discussed. I think it was in JD's last lesson. We discussed the fact that the Old Testament records things as they are or as they really happen. Right, so this is, you know, historical accuracy to the finest detail. Um, but kind of what we we touched on, uh, and we're talking about a little bit more, is that Jesus Himself directed the the lives and events of history in such a way that real events and real men pictured Him. Okay, I'm gonna get you guys to sit down in chairs over here. <laughs> so you just got got our kids here in the in the room. Um, but uh, he, he he Jesus imprinted pictures, like if I can use the word pictures, into into real history to display who he is, and that's kind of what the word type means. A type is uh, an imprint of of something that strikes it, and and we maybe gave a few examples last week about that, but um um. You can see that he, he not only he not only orchestrated the historical events, but then he inspired his prophets to write down precisely the events that he wanted captured in writing for all of eternity. Um, and I, I thought of um, the the verses in First First Peter, um, chapter one, verse ten and eleven. And and what's interesting is that these these prophets who wrote. Um, they, they, they couldn't even see, um, see exactly, uh, you know, who they were, who they were talking about. Um, if, uh, does someone want to read, uh, first Peter one, 10 and 11, if, if someone can bring that up. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
You, you notice notice in there who is the one that predicted? I, I honestly I kind of overlooked this way too many times. <laughs> spirit of Christ. Yeah. The, it was the spirit of Christ who was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Right. So Jesus, as he inspired the scripture, was predicting himself. And um, so I think that sort of sums up what what we were saying about uh, how the Old Testament points to Christ in, in a way. But it's an amazing truth, you know, that the, the you know eternally existent uh, Jesus Christ was uh, orchestrating these events and then giving the, the prophets these, you know, exactly what to write down that would that would point to him. So this is all. This kind of leads into question three here. So, um, what question number three says? What does Ephesians one ten tell us about God's ultimate purpose for the Word? That's a huge question, and I I, I think it's going to end up taking the rest of the time this morning. <laughs> I I that's just kind of as I as I delved into this. Actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read what Rido said about this. He says about Ephesians one ten. He says, the more deeply you plunge into the study of prophetic and dispensational truth, the more impressed do you become with this divine, intelligent purpose of God to make his son the center of all blessing and of the Holy Spirit in giving us a divine narrative of this purpose. And, uh, yeah, the more you, the more you delve into it, the more impressed you become. And that was what happened to me as I kind of prepared for this question it just kept going and going there's you know <laughs> there's so much here so let's let's read um uh ephesians 1 uh 10 i want to include verse 9 in it um and before we do that I, last week mike you uh you talked about i think the way you said it is that jesus is the solution to the problem and um and i want to bring our minds back to that to that point as we as we go through this question and actually I was going to put up here let's see can I do this does that show up behind me no a little bit yeah oh. six okay can you read that that's a mirror image in my thing does it six x equals forty two okay <laughs> yeah. got a little bit of a reflection but yeah it may not be it's okay we don't have to have that up there but um, let's read let's read um, Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. Does someone have that? Yeah. Russ, you got it too? I wasn't trying to interrupt you there. So he, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavenlies and things on earth in him. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so. That's some deep stuff. It's some deep stuff, yeah. <laughs> it really is. So um, the the first thing I noticed, and this is why I wanted to include verse 9, is the words he made known to us. You know, that says a lot, right? Um because we can ask the question, well, what has God made known to us? But I think the better question is, who has God made known to us? Who has he made known to us? Um, and that, and that really brings our minds into thinking about these, this, this little, um, uh, 
section here really, really um, clear. That you guys are probably familiar with the, the Greek word, um, generally translated mystery. There, um, in verse nine, he made known to us the mystery. Is the the Greek word mysterion, and it simply means something previously unrevealed that has now been made known. So, so we read First Peter one. Um, 10 and 11 there, and we see how neatly this fits with what we just read there. But all the Old Testament prophets who they were, they were writing about Christ, but they didn't know who he was yet. They didn't know him. And, and now the, the, the mystery that's been made known is, is Christ who was, was previously known about, but not, but not known. Um, so God is, God has now made known to us what, what all the Old Testament prophets spoke of, but couldn't yet see. And, um, and that's why, you know, you just think of, of Jesus on the Emmaus Road, right? And, and he was able to show how all the Old Testament spoke of him. That's just a, an amazing, that would have been, um, incredible to be there for. We'll get that someday, but, um, we weren't on the road that day, so. We didn't get that one, but um, but all the Old Testament scriptures that spoke of him, um, Jesus was the you know um, the one who who was um, orchestrating that, putting that together, and so he knows precisely how it points to him. But looking at, at Ephesians one ten, um, I, I don't know if this will be a helpful illustration or not, but it, it, in my uh, mind, I, I kind of like math, I'm not great at it, but I, I like it. Um, so this illustration might be helpful to some of you. Um, especially if you like solving for the, solving for the unknown. Um, and <laughs> anybody, I don't know, if you hate math, maybe this will be a terrible illustration, but. Definitely hate it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know what? The reason I wanted to put that up there is because, um, if you're, if you're the kind of the mathematical type, you're itching right now to go up and, and solve for the unknown because there's that X in there and you're like, I know what X is, you know, six, six X is 42. I know what X is. Right. Um, and, and, you know, all throughout the old Testament, Jesus has been, you know, filling in the blackboard, so to speak with information. And and we see the negative side, like we talked about the problem of sin and death. So that's part of the equation. We see the positive side, which is information about what the savior would be like. But there, but the equation remained unsolved. You know, there was still the unknown factor. You know, who, who do these speak about? And, and not until Jesus took on flesh and was manifested among men did we know that Jesus is the solution to the problem. Going back to Mike's comment. So, you know, we see that in this verse here that Jesus summed up or satisfied the equation, so to speak. In math, we call it, you know, satisfying the equation, right? Um, and it, it's it, it's like when Jesus comes into place, everything just clicks. You know, that's the way it feels like when you when you solve, you know, a math equation. It just clicks, and everything all of a sudden everything works. It makes sense, right? And um, so you're uh, saying, are you saying that the Old Testament is algebra? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh boy, now I just ruined the Old Testament for some. No, people. you didn't. You're actually. I mean, based on Ephesians one nine and ten. Um, yeah. 
you know, it was not known at the time. So there was an unknown X all throughout the the Old Testament. Yeah. It's a really good illustration. Yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll come back to that one for sure. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me when I, as I was kind of jotting down my notes here and thinking about this of, you know, in the Lamb book, the kids book by John Cross, you get to this, the one page and there's just a big question mark. I don't know who did the art for that, but it's a good bit art. <laughs> and it's just a question mark. And and it's exactly this. It's like, okay, we've seen all this stuff in the Old Testament. We've seen, you know, in, in that, we talk about sin, we talk about, you know, the lamb sacrifice and so forth. And then, but but who fills in this blank, you know? And and it's Christ. He's the, he's the, uh, he's the solution, so to speak. But, Right out calls it this. He calls him the center of all blessing. Yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. I, don't you get the impression? The right out says the more deeply you plunge into the study of prophetic and dispensational truth, the more impressed you become with the divine intelligent purpose. And here it is: of God to make His Son the center of all blessing. What strikes me about that is that, you know, Christianity is really the pursuit of an intimacy with a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are so prone to make it a theological system or a, or a system of rules or, or it's our denomination or, or whatever, rather than I think the Old Testament pointed to it and there's no question that everything in the in the New Testament, especially Paul, is designed, as as he says in Ephesians, he made known to us the mystery of his will. He's already done that. For some reason, and I have yet to figure out, what is the barrier in believers of just not letting God reveal himself in Christ to us through through his word and through fellowship and all that go, goes with it, we're all, you know, well, well, I'm reform, I'm dispensational, I'm this, I'm that, the other thing. You know, right out, or not right out, but J.B. Stoney said one day, you know, in one of those hungry hearts that, you know, he gets together with guys and they talk about things that are going on. And then somewhere in the conversation, they get down to where they're just talking about the wonders of Jesus Christ. Just him. And I think we miss that. We don't talk enough about it. We don't encourage believers to, to, to allow the Spirit of God to just reveal Christ the person to us. Cause that's what he wants to do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. The more I, the more I, um, think about it, over the last while, um, someone shared with me a little while back. We started teaching this group of kids here this fall, you know, some some Bible courses, some you know, kind of like Bible school for teenagers. And 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 someone shared with me what uh, Ellie Maxwell put down as the the mission statement or whatever you want to call it for Prairie Bible Institute, and it's to to know Christ and to make Him known. And I just come to realize that really is that's it to know Christ and to make him known. You know, I can't add anything to that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, I, think, I think that that whole passage that we just started looking at there, I mean, unpacking that would set you on a 
six week <laughs> teaching schedule. <laughs> However, um, I, I think it's interesting that, um, in verse 10, it, it's sort of, uh, with a view to an, an administration, right? So that's that dispensation. That's that section of time that God works in. And we call it a, um, a household administration or it kind of comes with that, that thinking. But what's really interesting is right after that, it's suitable to the fullness of times. Mm-hmm. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. And so that whole totality of completeness of time, the fullness of times, um, this is, this is what God was bringing all of the Old Testament. And this is, these are years. And these are people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all looking forward, according to the book of Ephesians, towards this new household rule that God is going to bring about that sums everything up. And it's mm-hmm. not just the summing up of things on earth. It's also in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and I love the very last part of verse 10, in him. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote just him in the chat here, but in him is the summation of all things in Christ on heaven and on earth. And so all of these guys' and gals' lives that we read about in the Old Testament, um, God's divine intelligent purpose is being revealed so as to sum up all things in the person of his son. You want to know the answer? You want to, we look back, they looked forward. They didn't know the algebra, you know, X. They didn't know what, that it was seven. They didn't know. Maybe they did. I don't know. To a degree, Isaiah probably knew a little bit more than some others did. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, X was a little bit unclear, but it was believed. And I, I think that's what's interesting is that those folks had to believe in the X. Yes. He had to believe in that unknown. Um, yet here Paul gets to write in retrospect and say, yeah, the sum, and I think it's interesting with your equation there. He says, and I'm maybe still in your thinking, <laughs> sorry. Um, but that 42 is the summing up of all things in Christ. Mm-hmm. And on, not on earth alone, but in heaven as well. Yeah, yeah. The whole creator. Yeah. There's some, I'm going to, I have a few thoughts here on that. Um, you know, because there's, there's just so much packed in there, but, um, you know, in the fullness of, of times. And, you know, often believers talk about how, how near the end times are. And, and we get it. I mean, we know the rapture is coming, but, you know, almost everyone misses the fact that the last times began when Christ came the first time. You know, yeah. um, you know, we talked about First Peter one ten to eleven, where the, the prophets sought to know who would fulfill these things. But if we continue down to verse twenty, Peter makes this fantastic statement. First um, Peter one twenty says, "For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God." And so again, we see this. We see here that Jesus was foreknown from the foundation of the world, but then at a point in time he appeared or has been revealed. And um, and and when did it happen? In in these last times. And I wanted to look at a few other references that say say basically the same thing. And there's there's a lot of them, but here's a, a few that I found really really neat. Um, Hebrews nine twenty six. 
We can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Mic test checked out. Okay. Um, Hebrews 9.26 um, says, Now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Again, same thing. At the, at the consummation of the ages, he's been manifested or, or displayed or, or, um, or seen. And again, to, to put away sin. And then Galatians 14.4. Galatians 14.4 says, But when the fullness of the time came, same, same type of expression, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Notice if God sent forth Jesus, it tells us that he pre-existed, but, but had not been sent yet, not been seen yet. What verse um, is that? Well, verse that's four, uh, Galatians 14. Or sorry. Oh, that's the wrong reference. There's no Galatians 14. That's a typo. That'd be Galatians, uh, what would that be, 4? No. Anyway, I put that in my notes, but someone have the right reference on that? I thought it might be 414, but... yeah. Or four, four, four. So that's what it is. Glacier four, four, four. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. All right. Okay. The full study, and then, and then John is so cool with this stuff. He's just packed with it. But in First John, chapter one, in verse one, he says, "What was from the beginning?" And he's talking about. He doesn't even say who. He says, "What was from the beginning?" And we, I mean, we understand that it's Jesus in the context. And then in verse two, he says. The eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, um, and and then there's a, this beautiful example again from John in in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse fourteen, and we all know this, and this is really ties in really nicely with with uh, next Sunday um, for Christmas. He says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory." as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So all of this and so many other scriptures, these are just a few really good ones that picked out, but, you know, Jesus stepped into creation and we saw him. That's, that's what, you know, I, uh, I really, I, I don't know how else to sum that up, but. Um, I really like that, Miles. That's really good. It's pretty cool, I, isn't it? Yeah, also, it really is. If if we if we keep looking at John um, John chapter one the gospel um, if if you're there or not but um, I want I want you to see how John connects this with what John the Baptist says so look at um, John one verse fifteen and remember we're talking about the Old Testament and prophets and stuff remember that John the Baptist was the last of the stream of the Old Testament prophets um, and and just like the prophets before him John was searching out what person the spirit of Christ within him was indicating. And, and he says, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So John was the prophet who finally saw who it was that the spirit of Christ was pointing to. It's pretty cool. But if you look down further in the chapter in, in verse 31, um, John the Baptist makes it really clear. He says, I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested, God showed him to me. God's pointed so. So John, John was in the same boat as all these other prophets. He's like, I didn't, I didn't recognize him. I didn't know. Because you remember, these guys were relatives. They grew up together. They probably knew each other. But he didn't know. 
until God showed him this is the one. And and now he's now he's seen, now he's manifested. So it was as though John had the opportunity to see that X filled in. The imprint was no longer an imprint. It was yeah. a person. But yeah. it was an eternal person. Uh, so some God had through his spirit revealed that all of these things about the eternal Savior that was to come, the Redeemer, John doesn't recognize him at first. Um, mm-hmm. But at some point, that X got filled in as like, and like you said, these they're relatives, and they, yeah. you know, what a what an interesting fullness of times completion of the equation, right? Like, yeah, so cool. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to yeah. go back to one real quick thing. I know mm-hmm. I'm interrupting a little bit, but mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting in that First Peter um, one twenty one that Peter's talking about that he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Um, mm-hmm. We don't need to go into it, but I I find that very interesting to think that at that particular point in time, they were already conceiving of these last times and mm-hmm. how, uh, yeah, that's just a really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I want to dig into that a little bit here. Like I okay. said, this do it. <laughs> um, because um, the um, the, I, I know I think um, I don't know, were you reading NASB when we did Ephesians there? I, I looked at a few different versions. I, I liked I liked Darby's translation actually, but I, when I looked at the Greek and stuff, but it says a dispensation or an, or an administration of the fullness of times. The, NA, the NASB put it suitable to the fullness of times, but the word suitable it really isn't there, which, whatever. I mean, it, it can kind of fit, but um, it's a dispensation or administration of the fullness of times. So so what is, what exactly is this fullness of times? What exactly is this, you know, um, the the end of the ages? Um, and we've seen in all these different verses that we read there, you know, the consummation of the ages, the fullness of the time, and, and so forth. And actually what's interesting in that Ephesians passage is it's the fullness of times, plural, right? So of all the times, or we say all the dispensations, this is, this is the one of the fullness of times. This is the, um, this is it kind of thing. This is where we are. This is where it was all headed. Um, but, um, we we saw and I mentioned in First Peter one eleven there that the the Holy the, the Spirit of Christ within them was was um, talking about the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow and and so we see that you know Christ came at this appointed time we we see that he suffered and died and and he was raised and he was glorified and now what you know is is he gone you know. Um, the end of the ages came 2,000 years ago and then Christ ascended to heaven and the wheels of history have just continued to spin for 2,000 years or, or what is it, right? Um, here's a question for everyone. Is the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow, is that all past tense completed history? Say that. Can you say that one more time? I'll say it again. That was a bit, a bit of a mouthful. Is so I said I was kind of we're looking at how Christ came at the fullness of times, right? And and we know that he he's he came, he suffered, he died, he he was raised and glorified, and we can and we kind of think of that as as past tense. But but is it is it 
Is it past tense? Maybe a bit of a... I'm going to take a stab. So in Ephesians 1.10, with a view to an administration, meaning dispensation or household rule, suitable to the fullness of times, we know that the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all of things in Christ. That's, that is future in terms of the Messiah's millennial reign, mm-hmm. but it's also present in the sense of the revealing of who Christ is, that making the imprint, uh, that impact, that X known, right? So mm-hmm. part of this is, has been revealed and we would say that's 2000 years ago. However, the summing of, summing up of all things in Christ, I think is still yet future for us. It's a millennial reign. But it's interesting that those dispensations are wrapped together in some ways. And maybe I'm not reading it exactly right. I mean, maybe spend some more time with it. But his administration is to fulfill who that imprint of all those Old Testament saints were looking towards for a redeemer, the Messiah. And then the summing up of all things I think is the millennial reign of Christ. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to read something from yesterday's Hungry Heart. Who is T-A-S? As, T-A-S-Sparks. T-A-S-Sparks. Okay. Okay. I, I can't always get the uh, initials. Um, okay. He said, all our activities and efforts and ener- energies and expenditures, all our sacrifices, our movements, and our teaching, everything that has become a part of Christianity has to be measured by the one rule. Is it resulting in the reproduction of the Lord Jesus Christ in the lives of men and women so that it is demonstrated from heaven that he is as truly here in the world now as ever he was in history? He is as truly here in the world now as ever he was in history. You know, our head is in heaven, yes, but the body of Christ is in the world. And... And he is in us and we are in him. And what began 2,000 years ago when Christ was revealed, when he was manifest, has not yet ceased. Um, you know, when when the Lord appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road, you know, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, um, uh, Romans eight seventeen says, you know, if children heirs also, heirs of God and joint heirs, and Christ's joint heirs, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And then First uh, Corinthians twelve twenty six and twenty seven. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers. Members suffer with it. If one member is glorified, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. So. So I, I really think that from the time that Christ was manifested 2,000 years ago, he has not ceased to be revealed to the world. And he's being revealed through through his body. Um, and one, one more verse, maybe two. Second Corinthians 4, 10 to 11. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For, if we, li- for, if, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Um, so the, the suffering of Christ is still being revealed. And the glory of Christ is also manifested 
through us, which is absolutely mind-blowing yeah. to me. Um, we could probably have a discussion right there yes. about yeah. position and condition, but that's for another day. Yeah. The point is, is that the work of Christ on the cross is completed. His, yeah. his end of the bargain is done. Yeah. So, um, he, even though it doesn't appear like all of the all of the elements of the eternal covenant have been carried out, they are being carried out from a finished standpoint. Mm-hmm. Out that all that he all that, uh, the Father is doing through him, in fact. Is being worked out now. So, um, I, I, I hesitate sometimes that some believers say, well, the, you know, this truth or that truth is sometime in the future. No, it's all ours now. Mm-hmm. At the same time, whether I experience it or not, it's still true of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. still, I still am in Christ. I still am. I still am. Uh, Paul and Peter and James and John all talk about that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sanctification process of manifesting the resurrected life of Christ through me, that's the processing that's going on right now. Yeah. But you think yeah. it's all done from a finished work. It's not a work that's being done to complete later. It's all being done from something that's already finished. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I do have a question about that next next week. I've got a verse that kind of confounded me a little bit, but isn't in full line with mostly what we're saying. But he's still at work, right? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to go past time here, but um, yeah. So let's look at Acts three twenty one next time, just out of interest. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much, like, like we said at the beginning, this would just go on and on and on, you know, um, and if, if you, if you want to, I don't know where I kind of concluded my study for in this for the time being is in, in Revelation chapter 20 and we're there, we're talking about the bride and, and I just, I did this, this, um, to me really stuck out Revelation 20 verse four. Then I saw thrones, plural. And they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And um, and contextually, it, it, it's Christ and His bride. And in in Revelation twenty verse six, Jesus said, <clears throat> "Well, He who sits on the throne said to me, Jesus, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost." And I couldn't, I couldn't sum up the administration of grace any better than that. The water of life freely without cost. And that's the administration that the Lord is developing. He's, the body is, the body right now is growing into the head so that ultimately the, the completed body of Christ, um, administers this, this entire, um, it becomes the administration of this entire universe, things in heaven and things on earth, in him. It's just, yeah. just unfathomable. Okay. I'll close in prayer there. Heavenly Father, thank you for the uh, the unfathomable riches in Christ that uh, we're just cracking the door on. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would 
continue to lead us, direct us into uh, clarity uh, on these things for the sake of knowing Christ more, more fully, more intimately, and uh, and to just to, to know Him. And uh, we thank you for for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.